On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's communities, Teach the Global Goals, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities with educators around the world. She tries to get me to play levels for her because I'm better at it than she is. So she'll be like, I can't beat this one. Beat it for me. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. you got to beat it yourself. <laughs> Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Brad Treffler. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We talk about a new board game and special On Education event, Mike's role-playing adventure, Florida and its infinite brilliance, and our <laughs> guest this week is movie-making in the classroom author, Jessica Pack. I actually hadn't read the intro before <laughs> you said it, and I'm normally really good at like containing myself during the intros. <laughs> Uh, even when I'm excited, but that got me. I, I just... <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, Mike. Oh, uh, that's else. the first time. That's probably the first time I've ever made any sort of noise during an intro. And I just, <laughs> it's like, oh, can anything be any more opposite um, than that? Anyways. Um, there are hey. some smart people here. <laughs> um We've been playing games as we tend to talk about games. And I actually have a some education stuff related to games who would have thought um <laughs> you know but you've been playing metroid and someone else told me about metroid so dude i now have, I, I spent all day sunday i think i've put 10 hours into this game already i downloaded it friday i was not home all day saturday it's basically sunday i spent almost 10 hours playing this game i've not done like a full day gaming marathon session like that in wow. years but God, this game is so good. And it's on the Switch, yeah. It's on Switch. It's Metroid Dread. It's a 2D side-scroller. But, like, the cutscenes are all really well graphics done up. That was a, not a well-phrased sentence. But the, the game looks really, really cool. And it's yeah. so hard. It is so tough. There's, like, a million boss battles that I've done 50 times. Because it just takes timing and practice. And, I mean, it's... It's so 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 good. You're it's pretty creepy actually. You're you're getting chased by these particular character like villains called the Emmys and they can hear you when you're mm -hmm. close to them. So you have to like sneak around during certain areas of the game and if you don't you have like a 1 in 80 shot of actually getting away if they catch you. Like it's you have like a fraction of a second to hit a counter button and it's not always the same timing and it's I mean it's just really really well done. It is and so entertaining. I've been loving it. Cool. It's so much I'm gonna fun. Have to, I'm going to have to check it out. And I'll tell you, so you mentioned this Beat Star game last episode. And so yep. I downloaded it. And I'll tell you, it's actually shockingly impressive. Like, it is, it is basically like Guitar Hero, but tapping on your phone. And the, the, the songs are very good. Like, like I, I don't know what deal they have with whatever companies they have deals with they're to get some music yeah. but well you know who owns it though it's owned by the same folks that made Cla like clash of clans and yeah. like it's owned yeah. by a big con so it's a game from a big company like yeah the biggest um company for mobile gaming 
I will say so. again, this game is so much fun. I got my wife playing it now. Um, and like we sit there in bed at night now. And oh, just, like, look play. at her. And she was it's, like, she hates she, video games. She can't stand video games. But she this was one, dragging it last uh, week, last time. Yep. And now it's like, now wow. I got her to try it. And she's like, okay, she's yeah. Turned the corner, has she? She tries to get me to play levels for her because I'm better at it than she is. So she'll be like, I can't beat this one. Beat it for me. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. You got to beat it yourself. <laughs> it would be so fun. Like, it is very, like, I I, I loved um, working with our music teacher um, when I was doing, like, a lot of technology integration stuff. For finding music, like music games are really great for teaching things like tempo and beat and rhythm. And I, I don't know, you know, how you get a game like this into the hands of kids, but like even just for fun, like if they could just like, you know, go home and play or something like that. This would be one of those games if you were a parent and you wanted to teach your kids about how to stay on the beat, you know, this is mm -hmm. one of those like like it's it's fun and and it, it's 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 all the most popular songs yep. so it's not like they're playing like songs from the 60s or 70s or 80s or whatever that they don't know it's it's all modern music um there are old songs too interestingly enough yeah um so it's kind of all so over good. the place beat star check it out and if you get on there like friend me on it because i want to <laughs> see that i've beat all your high scores um, you know, I'm just saying it's, uh, I think it's Brad 429 or something like that. I don't something know, like but that. find me on, find me on BeatStar. That's what I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> find Brad on BeatStar. That's the title of the episode. <laughs> yep. That's it. Uh, uh, I've been playing New World, which I, I, I still have a conflict with cause it's owned by Amazon. Um, but it is a very good MMO. Um, it based on kind of like where it is right now in its development, I'll tell you, if they could, if they put five hard years into this, it's it would be an absolutely stunning MMO. It would be so good. Um, so, so that's been fun. But the game I wanted to talk about um, that that is super interesting, um, and I think Zach Hartsman would have a have a thing for this game. Is there's a game called It Takes Two. And, and um, it's, it's, it's got a story. The story is that um, there's a girl, uh, a little girl who sees her parents fighting and um, finds out that they're about to get a divorce and somehow causes uh, some sort of a spell that turns the two parents into like these little toy versions of themselves. And then the story is basically forcing these two characters to cooperate um, to solve puzzles and like challenges and to get through these levels um, and they have to work together and there's like a narrative thread through the whole thing where they argue a lot um, you know while they're doing it and then they start to like applaud each other and then by the end of the game they're they're I, I mean I, I think I haven't so first off I haven't gotten to the end of the game but from what I understand about the way that the game kind of ends is that they they don't like say hey we're not going to get divorced anymore but they but they understand each other better and they 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 remember why they got married in the first place and they um commit to um um working harder at their relationship um so there's like this really interesting story and a really neat game uh, i think you could teach with it 
Uh, I can't remember what platforms it's on. We're playing it on the PlayStation 5. Um, it, it is absolutely a beautiful game. And here's the kicker. I've been playing it with Jacob. So Jacob's five. And he is crushing it. Like, he is doing such a good job that it's been stunning. Um, so we've all kind of taken turns. I've played a lot with him. And Cheryl's played a bit. And Isaac's played with Jacob a bit. Um, uh, so it's been fun. So that's what we did most of the weekend was play It Takes Two. Uh, and and people should check it out because it's got this really interesting story um, and and um, a really neat game mechanic that forces people to cooperate. Yeah, definitely um, feels like a, something that would hit some SEL ties for, for students, for sure. Yeah. I mean, lots of students going through that kind of thing, right? Like going through a divorce. Yeah, it's totally cool. Uh, speaking of totally cool or, you know, in the... Or in the, the opposite of that. Or in the, the yeah, in the that. way that giant nerds think things are cool, um, <laughs> I I've actually started to play a role playing, um, a role playing game um, with Grace Collins, um, uh, CEO of Starbright Studios, and a bunch of other things, um, and and Grace put out a call to. Um, um, they were GMing uh, a new campaign for this game called Starfinder. It's basically Dungeons and Dragons in space, um, which is pretty cool. I dig so, it. I dig so it. it's got a big book, which I'm now holding up in front of the camera to show Brad. Um, Only for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, the book is easily, well, it's about 515 pages long. Um, it is extensive. Um, it took me all weekend to figure out how to set up my character but here's the thing i've been thinking all weekend about like the path not taken and how cool it would have been to do like like your class year is the perfect amount of time to to do like a role-playing campaign kind of like this and i guess that's similar to like class craft kind of has an element of this i think a little bit and they're certainly leaning more into the narrative of you know their 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 setups um but you know imagine imagine doing this with your students and like leaning into that collaboration forcing them to work together to solve huge problems um tying it all into what you teach like is uh, like literally making curriculum connections with your subject i mean it would take a lot of work but man would it ever be special and you could iterate on it right like you could like it doesn't have to be perfect yeah i mean you're making me think of like you know mike matera and, <clears throat> and the gamification he does in his classroom right like where he's he's doing similar things and there's there his takes probably more of like a board game format than a true like rpg style format but definitely it can be done like just thinking about your content you know like our guest says it later on in the episode you know thinking about your content and the stories that are in your content and then wrapping those in a game mechanic that is you know actually engaging to students i think that's you know there's i i mean obviously we've said this before but there's so much potential in games and classrooms but yeah, I uh, I'm actually kind of sad because I uh, did not get a chance. To, I'm I'm not doing D and D anymore, so I'm a little jealous if I'm being honest. Because I definitely miss uh, I miss getting to do D and D. My Tuesday nights used to be D and D nights. 
Oh uh, well, I'll let you know the next time. Like, cause he, I think, I think we have there's four of us, and 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 Grace is GMing. Um, but I think that they would have been open to having more people. Um, I don't think four was a limit or anything. So I'll let you know the next time there's a call out, and you know it'll. I, I don't know what other games Grace does or whatever, but uh, this is this is pretty cool. I'm pretty pumped to be honest. So uh, yeah, in a hard pivot. Speaking of speaking of making decisions by rolling a dice. Yeah, hard go. pivot. That's not how's, bad, right? That's not how's bad. Florida <laughs> coming up coming up ones every time. Uh, ooh, there you go. That's a good D and D joke for roll, you. Roll D, roll D twenty for wisdom. Yep, yeah, it's a one every time. Um, you know, I just I gotta I gotta bring this up because this is like the endless saga of of stupidity and i know like we have probably talked about this some but like this whole mask debate in the state of florida is so unbelievably stupid i i cannot contain it much anymore um it's gotten to the point where my own staff barely pays attention to the crap that's going on with masks because we just kind of do our own thing um but this week, last I guess last week, the end of last week, the state courts ruled in favor of our wonderful governor, Ron DeSantis, that he did have the right to tell school boards throughout the state that they are not allowed to mandate masks, that there has to be an opt-out option for parents. And if, if, you, if you remember the story as it went, he said that in an executive order six months ago. Uh, when school started in August, a lot of districts in the state of Florida said, well, too bad. We're doing this anyways. We're mandating masks. And initially there was an opt out. And then they said, you know what? Nope, we're not doing that either. Unless you have a medical, a doctor's note saying you need to opt out. You're wearing a mask. Everyone's wearing a mask on campus. Um, then it you know, was temporary order in place to see where we're at. And then, of course, cases have not gone down. Um, and it's gone back and forth. DeSantis most recently has said that he will withhold the pay of superintendents and school board members if they mandate masks in schools without an easy opt-out option. And to be fair, in the defense of the school boards, a lot of the district school boards are saying, well, too bad, we're still mandating masks. I don't care that the judge said this is okay and constitutional in the state of Florida because we, we don't think it is. It's It's our right as a school board to mandate it. It's just... It's a lot of levels of stupidity, but I think one of them that that keeps coming back to me is sort of this weird system we have in the U.S. of just this like constant balance of oversight and control. And, and we have this generalized obsession with freedom that, that I think sometimes gets us in a lot of trouble. And, and here we have people uninformed people or misinformed people who have most likely been misinformed intentionally by other groups believing that they have the right to not make their kid wear a mask, the freedoms to not make their kid wear a mask. And then you have the school board thinking they have the freedom to manage their schools and their as they see fit. And you have the governor thinking he has the freedom to just mandate whatever the heck he wants. And it's like all these levels of freedom and control coming together. And I mean, yes, there's the obvious of like, ultimately, it's always hurting kids and teachers. Like we're the ones always getting hurt in it. But it's like, also, I'm just so tired of it. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm so past the point of being able to be politically correct about it, to be nice about it. Like, just go get the vaccine. I, I cannot, I cannot say enough. Go get the vaccine. Wear a mask. 
T- saying that a mask isn't a hundred percent truth, like uh, well, that doesn't work a hundred percent of the time, doesn't mean the mask doesn't work. Like th- we're not dealing with ins- like black and white systems and ones and zeros. That's just not the way the real world works. Masks help. Wear them. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. I just I ca- I can't I can't. I'm just I'm over it. I'm over it. My state is driving me crazy these days. And he's out. <sighs> and I'm spent. <laughs> I'm spent. Wow. Yeah. So. I got nothing to add. What a mess. Um, you know, just stay safe down there, everybody. Um, please have it all. Please have it all wrapped up by the end of January, um, so that I can come down there. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll and, have it figured out by then. We've yeah, done please. so well the first year and a half of this thing. <laughs> Florida, Florida, figure your shit out. <laughs> you know, please and thank you. Um, that would be great. Hey, we have a um, programming note, and I just realized that by promoing this now, I have to make sure that they actually get the podcast out um, between now and the date of the thing I'm about to promo. I low-key did that to make you do it on time this week. Pressure. Love it. Uh, So on uh, next Monday, instead of recording a podcast, we are going to live stream. Um, I'm excited. This is going to be so much fun. are going to live stream with our very good friends. Um, Steve Isaacs, um, and John Spike. John, if you didn't know, is making a board game. Um, a real board game, not like a, I, I shouldn't say a real board game, not like education board games that you, (laughs) I'm not meaning that. I'm meaning he's making like a commercial board game. Yep. Um, something that is meant to be sold. Um, it is called Game Game Stormers. And we are going to play it um, on stream with John and Steve. And it's going to be great, I think. I'm so pumped. I actually have it. I'm I'm one of the beta testers for this. So I have a physical version of this downstairs that I have um, been needing. If I had not been spending all weekend playing Dread, I probably would have played it this weekend. But, you know, Metroid came out and I I got lost. Um, But I have a physical copy of Game Stormers. Mike, uh, John's been working on this on his own live stream every Monday night. And so now we're going to, he asked us if we wanted to do a a play online, play through the game online. And I'm yeah, I mean, we were in right away, and so we'll be uh, we'll be doing that next weekend. So what is that? Um, October the 18th. 18th. October That's right. 18th. That's pretty exciting. And, and if you want to learn more about the game, that the, with the beautiful artwork, by the way, um, GameStormEDU.com. GameStormEDU.com is John's kind of main website. There is a link right at the top for Game Stormers. Um, you, can, you can take a look at it there. Um, he streams uh, every Monday, right actually at the exact same time, just about when we do the podcast. So we, we haven't spent a lot of time with him in his live stream, but you can click on live stream on his website and watch it on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, all of that stuff. Um, we're going to be streaming. I think we're going to stream on my uh, Twitch channel. Um, so that's twitch.tv slash Mr. Washburn. Um, and so Brad and I will be co-streaming. We'll be streaming. Uh, he'll be streaming there. But we're all going to be together. And I'm pretty psyched about it. So uh, join us. So no podcast next week. Um, join us on the 18th, um, wherever 
um, you want to watch uh, Steve and Brad and uh, John and myself play John's uh, upcoming board game, Game Stormers. Yeah, it's Very a exciting. board game about making a board game, by the way, which is really, really cool. So he does a live stream talking about making board games while using his board game about making board games, which I just think is, is really awesome. I really Maximum appreciate it. Maximum meta. It is as meta as it can get. So there we go. Uh, friends, when we come back, we will be talking to the fantastic Jessica Pack. So stay with us. It is like a spider web. These diverse interconnected spaces help and inspire us to understand, empathize, and take local action in our schools. That's Yahaira Guedes, a facilitator within the Teach the Global Goals community on Participate. The community is home to hundreds of resources, courses, and educators around the world, collaborating on how to bring the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals into the classroom. With our students, and as a collective, to be a powerful force to achieve the vision of a more peaceful, healthy, and equitable world. We'll hear more later in the episode from another community facilitator on why you should get involved. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest is a California Teacher of the Year, a Q outstanding educator and author who has been teaching middle school for 16 years. Her book, Movie Making in the Classroom, published by ISTE, is out now. Welcome to On Education, Jessica Pack. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you. And the, the book is wonderful. I appreciate actually the rockets on the on the pages. Was I mean, I appreciate lots of other things as well. <laughs> nope, that was it. Just the rocket chips. None of the content. The rockets but, are pretty, though. <laughs> but the rockets on the pages are great. I enjoyed those. Um, so I, I, I've told this story a few times, and I'm actually sure it's in the podcast more than once, um, because it's in my keynote that I, that I do every once in a while. Um, and this is about having my students create video assignments, which I thought was amazing. Like, best idea in the history of ideas. Um, but I didn't really think through how much grading um there was when i had to to have over when i had over 400 students because i i taught a range i taught grade two all the way to, to grade eight at the time um so i had 400 students create videos different obviously different types of videos but um i had 400 of them doing it so let's talk assessment and time management because um, I don't know how, uh, well, I would love to learn from you. How do you get around the fact that if you had a class, even just a class of 25 kids, and you asked them each to make a video, I'm going to do some math here, heaven forbid, you asked them to each make a video three minutes long. So that's 75 minutes of just watching videos, just watching them once, just once. Not to mention the likelihood that you'll watch some of them more than once, and you have to do a rubric, you have to write feedback, um, you have to, you know, fiddle with your LMS and, and whatever else you got to do to get this work done. So 
Does grading video have to be this much work? Uh, definitely not. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a slog. Could as you, you have told it. me that? Could you have told me that eight <laughs> years ago, please? That would have been fabulous, or ten years ago, or whenever it was. I applaud your effort <laughs> to give them that creative freedom in the first place, for sure, and double applaud nice. your dedication for all that grading. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So. Tell us how you do it. Well, I would say first and foremost, it's really about how you're structuring the assignment, right? There's this really wonderful Clint Eastwood quote about how story is king. And I think that that's a good lesson for us as teachers to embrace that the most important part of a movie project is always the script, because that's really where you're seeing learning reflected, especially if it's a standards mastery based type assignment that might be maybe a formative or a summative assessment. Um, so if you're really paying attention to the script, um, I think that's probably where grading starts for me. And I typically don't sit down and just grade finished products. If I'm, if I'm only grading the finished product, then I've missed a lot of um, formative opportunities along the way. And I'm also not getting a really good sense of, um, you know, kind of where the problem is if students are having trouble. So really taking time to scaffold that writing process first provides that first level of intervention where you're able to look at a student's script and be like, this kid doesn't get it. It is small group table time. Let's, you know, pull them off to the side and maybe there's five kids that need a reteach and you can provide that at that point. So I find that as students are in the production process, I'm looking at their work a lot while they're in the classroom. So we're all together. So I'm not taking work home to you know, sit there and do that 75,000 hours of grading. Um, and then I also have developed lesson frames that intentionally are, you know, certainly no more than two minutes closer to 90 seconds or less. Um, and that sounds like an incredibly short time to tell a story. But um, one of my mentors who was a past president of Walt Disney Picture Group told me that any story worth telling can be told in two minutes or less. And that for me, was like a life-changing pivotal thing because I thought, wow, to have a really rigorous piece, it's gotta be four minutes, five minutes, really expounding like everything in detail. And that's just not necessarily the case. That's you know one reason that Pixar shorts are so enjoyable to consume because it is a complete story, right? So I'm trying to take that philosophy back of having this lesson frame that I can rinse and repeat that's highly dependent on the script and then I'm able to, you know, sort of assess as we go along so that by the time I'm hitting play, it's 90 seconds a kiddo. I already am confident they've got the information there. And at that point, it's just a joy to watch their finished products. And that really speaks to the cross-curricular nature of video making, you know, that it's like a written assignment as well, right? Like you're, you are, you are, um, really going through a creative writing process with students when you ask them to make scripted videos, right? A hundred percent. If you're starting a movie making project by opening a video editor, you're kind of starting at the end. So it, it definitely requires that writing component. And when you get these lesson frames down and students have that opportunity for repeated attempts at learning with that lesson frame and they know how it functions, 
then their their storytelling efficiency, their editing efficiency, everything just sort of heightens over time to until you get to the place where you can accomplish an entire movie project in two to three class periods, which at my middle school is about 60 minutes. So a lot of my kids by the end of the year, they're creating these phenomenal things and it's not taking them a ton of time, which for me as a core content teacher is huge because I'm not a media elective. I have all the things, right? <laughs> So um, it's really compelling, I think. I just, I, I have an actual question, but I just want to repeat what you just said, because I think it's so critical. And, it, and, it, and you said, and correct me if I misunderstood, but if you are starting by opening a video editor, you're starting at the end. Like, I just, trying to get kids to understand that sometimes is like pulling teeth, but I just, it has to be reiterated, right? Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. And I think the more that we are really weaving storytelling into the fabric of what we do in our classrooms, they will understand better than anyone that that's not the starting line. That's sort of the finish. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's cool. It's, you know, I've, I've been looking through the book and you're like on page 90 and all it's talked about is storytelling. Like it's, and I love that so much because for me, you know, and, and you say this in the book, too, from what I've seen is that storytelling is absolutely everything. It is the most like quintessential part of my life. For me, I love to tell a great story. I often when people ask me, what's my what's my purpose in life? It's to live a great story like that's I just want people to tell stories about me when I'm gone. That's all I really care about in the world. Um, so like, that's, that's it for me. So um can you tell me how you are able to make that connection for students between storytelling and then, like you said, you're a content area teacher. So how do you get from storytelling back to your specific curriculum and content? That's a great question. I think that's our job as storytelling teachers is to help kids storify content that doesn't seem to have a story. So I find that if I start at the beginning of the year, like literally like week one, two, we're already making our first movies and they're about us, we can see the personal power of telling a story. And then it's a pretty easy leap to get to picking either an important character, an important figure, maybe an important concept and taking that and creating it using that same lesson frame creating that into the story. So for an example, I use the I am poem lesson frame a lot. Um, the first iteration is pretty much what you would expect where they're writing about themselves and it lets me get to know them a little bit. It's a good SEL activity. But then the second iteration of that is um, content based. So they can pick something like say a spear or a tool created by early man and tell the story from the spears point of view about what prehistoric life was like and how it was used and kind of make those connections um, you know, on a, on a broader level where you're taking an object essentially and personifying it. And then there's always a story to be told too, even in like science. Um, NGSS standards, my understanding is that there's this huge thread woven through about like empathy and finding the solution and recognizing what the problems or the challenges are and that whole design thinking mode um, that's hugely dependent on the story of why you're doing what you're doing and why you're seeking the solutions. So I think there's a story to be told in any content area, and that's just our job is to think creatively and help kids find it. Not to um, fanboy too much on a specific tool or anything like that, but I'm going to fanboy a little bit on a specific tool for a second <laughs> and, and just complain a little bit that Flipgrid wasn't really around when I was teaching and 
Um, you know, I read your book and, and like things like iMovie resonate with me. I used iMovie all the time. Um, and, and, but the fact of the matter is that I think my whole life would have been a whole lot easier. And I think back to that assignment, if I had used something like Flipgrid, these tools have really come a long way though. Like, like not that I, and I agree that we shouldn't start with the tools, but tools have to be part of the equation. What's the, you can't make a movie if your kids don't know how to use, you know, any of the, any of the things you need to use to make it right. Um, they've come such a long way, especially in their intuitive nature that helps students actually use them effectively, right? I 100% I agree. Like tools have come a huge way. I've been in the classroom for 17 years. This is my 17th year. And I, you know, have taught in so many different um, sort of I guess, technology paradigms, everything from like bring your own device to like those old school MacBooks. Do you remember those that like used to weigh a ton and they were super thick? Like that was my first movie making apparatus with kiddos. And we would run around with like external little Q zoom cameras and film things and then try to import footage. Like I, th I think probably the biggest change I see is just like accessibility. Anybody has an immediate capacity to be a storyteller in a way that's really exciting. And having done all of those previous like iterations of tools as they were growing, like the first iMovie that we used was so ponderous compared to where it is now. Um, yeah. It's just really refreshing. It's amazing. This is Ava Gay Blackford, another facilitator within the Teach SDGs community. I believe that education is the most powerful force to encourage human rights and dignity to wipe out poverty and strengthen sustainability to build a better future for all. I think others should join this community because it creates a support network for members and serves as a global gathering place for teachers to share stories and support one another as we all figure out what learning looks like during the current global pandemic. To access hundreds of resources about the global goals and to connect with almost 1,000 educators around the world, join the free Teach the Global Goals community. Visit go.participate.com slash global goals to get started. I'd love to talk about YouTube for a minute because you, you definitely bring it up and you talk about how you have a YouTube channel um, for your class and, and stuff like that. So I, I think we can agree that there's you know, uh, a powerful agency force at play when students publish their videos online. Um, yet the fact remains that we live in a pretty complicated world that's getting more complicated by the day in terms of, um, you know, everything, uh, everything that our kids have to deal with in the, in the classroom and frankly, even just trying to walk in the door in some states. Um, and so, uh, you know, complicated when it comes to privacy and security as well. And obviously, when it comes to our students, we also have to think about things like parental consent. So how do you think about these sort of issues? And, and how do you handle the complexities of security and privacy? I mean, you can speak to your own class if you want, even. Um, I'm interested in knowing, like, you've had a YouTube channel for a while. How do you handle it? That's a great question. Um, first, I think it's important for the parental consent piece for sure. 
Um, my students are, a few of them are 10 when I first get them because they have a birthday in September and then they'll be 11 and a few are 12, right? So I, I have these kids who are definitely below age 13 and definitely below 18. So it's like, okay, parents need to be involved. So, um, you know, sort of the first line of, of I guess permission would be that my district has an opt-out clause. So parents at the beginning of the year fill out paperwork that specifically deals with posting their child's image or their child's work online. Um, and they can opt out of that type of situation. And of course, all the teachers in um, my school are very well informed very quickly about who can and cannot participate in that type of online space. Um, I've had a few parents who had opted out initially, but once they kind of understand what we're doing with YouTube and what we're doing with storytelling, um, they usually actually take their paperwork back <laughs> and they sign a clause to opt in then because they really have had a chance to experience sort of the legacy effect of what's been going on in my classroom for so many years with our really well-established YouTube channel. And their kids want to be a part of that. They want to be able to share um, on a level that is just really inspiring. Um, to be quite honest, a lot of my kids, when they're coming into class on like the first day or two, they've already watched the YouTube channel. And I'm old enough in my career that I'm starting to get students of students that I've already had. And sometimes they show up at parent conferences and go, are you still running around with cameras trying to make movies? And I'm all like, well, we got cell phones now and iPads, but yeah, pretty much. And they're like, cool, I can't wait for my kid to try that. So, um, you know, I think it's really kind of like in educating both parents and families how it is that you're leveraging the tool. And then, of course, teaching them basic digital safety, like how much information are you putting out there about yourself? Um, you know, are you using your face? And then are you also providing other information about where you can be found? <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of a balance there, I think. And most important overall is just onboarding families so that they really understand what you're going for. So kind of, kind of following along that line, right? Like my son is, um, he's in fourth grade, he's, he's nine. And, um, you know, I've had other friends have asked me the same thing, you know, go, go knowing that I create content and do all this stuff. They're like, well, how do I get, you know, my kids to do that basically? And I, and I have the same thing, you know, my son will sit there and, and, scroll through YouTube TV and just watch little short clips of like stupid Minecraft videos and, and whatever. And I don't mean that Minecraft is stupid. Mike, calm down. I just mean that these particular videos are just like guys yelling at screens while they play Minecraft. They're not like good videos. Uh, but anyways, my point is how do you, how do you move, you know, how do I engage my own son or how does a parent engage their kids? Do you think into, okay, now you, you've seen all these videos, you know what this medium can do now go, do that thing? How do you get them from a consumer to a creator? I think it's all about tapping into student interests. Um, one of the favorite things in the last couple months was going over to my um, brother-in-law and sister-in-law's house and seeing our niece watching with rapt attention some other child playing with Barbies and like acting out scenes on camera on YouTube. And so it was kind of like a great moment to be like, hey, do you want to grab your Barbies? Should we film something? Um, and I think there's like that natural sense of play that comes when we're creating things um, and we're able to kind of like take off the consumer hat and realize that we have that power to kind of put things out into the world. So for parents, I would just kind of emphasize that 
you know, whatever is important to your child that they want to be able to, you know, kind of put out there and amplify, there's an opportunity to do that. And kids have devices so young these days. I mean, a lot of my kids are even coming to me with their own YouTube channels already. So um, I definitely think it's something that appeals innately to kids. That's awesome. So Jessica, it's, it's clear that throughout history um, of education in North America in particular, uh, minority children have never really seen themselves represented in the stories that they hear and see at school. And certainly if they were in stories, it was always, you know, bad um, for the most part. There was not many heroes, not many minority heroes, not many feminine heroes even in a lot of cases. Um, thankfully, it seems we're starting to turn a corner on this over the last couple years. So how can video creation uh, play a part kind of in this new wave of pedagogy that we're seeing um, where we're trying to help, you know, all students feel seen? I think one of the most powerful ways is that movie making can really help generate equity in the classroom and, and bring awareness and inspire empathy um, is just in the, our ability to share our lived experiences. And that's one thing that I always like to do with my students is be able to give them the opportunity to write about things that are important to them and life experiences that they have lived and to be able to share that with others in a way that um, is sometimes uplifting, sometimes sort of tragic and serious. And maybe it's a topic that's close to their heart that they want to reach out and kind of connect with others on um, sort of that experiential level where someone else might be going what they're going through. Um, so I think that just having that end place of creation be ultimately pretty open to their interpretation and their lived experiences, that's huge. So throughout most of the year, we're doing these structured lesson frames, right? And then we get to trimester three and there's a lot more choice and there's a lot more opportunity to kind of like, okay, you know what makes a good story now. So let's create one from nothing. Let's talk about whatever is important to you. So for example, one of my students, Nikki, um, she is from an immigrant family and watching, especially where we live geographically, we're so close to the border in Southern California desert that, you know, a lot of our kids kind of, you know, go visit family every weekend. So we very much have a lot of um, a dual citizenship type of situation. Um, and so she really wanted to share about the immigrant experience and perception and kind of push back on the perception that she was seeing portrayed in the news sometimes. And I think that kids being able to have those conversations actually makes other kids feel more comfortable to have their conversations too. So it's been really amazing to just watch kids talk about what's important to them and then see other kids go, oh, I'm that person too. So I, I definitely think opening up those projects after they have their storytelling legs, that's powerful. Hmm. Yeah, well, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I feel like has come up time and time again with, you know, talking about uh, today, I mean, tonight in our conversation about just sort of 
the change that has occurred over the last, you know, five, 10 years. When we talk about the technology changes, the way we teach students, the concerns we have about what this looks like in a classroom. So I'm curious if you have uh, any kind of predictions of, you know, let's project forward five more years. And what does, what does video creation, what does movie making and what does storytelling look like in uh, sort of your classroom or classrooms of the future, as it were? The future. Classrooms of the future. They're in space. Uh, that sounds super impressive when you say it like that, for sure. Um, I'm excited <laughs> for this they didn't, they didn't see us. They didn't see us <laughs> they didn't with get their, their hand eyes, gestures. but they saw us with their ears, and we were moving our hands when we did it. <laughs> Um, I think that our immediacy to be able to tell stories will just kind of continue in that trend. Our, our ability to leverage mobile technology will just continue to be a very powerful source. And I also think that kids are going to be looking more and more for ways to express themselves. Like from a, a social emotional learning point of view, this has been a really great way for my kids to just process the pandemic. Um, you know, moving through distance learning, my district actually spent 18 months in a fully distance mode. And a lot of our kids were kind of on their own at home, or they were with families, but you know, it was kind of crowded. <laughs> and there was all of all of the things that you would expect might come into play in, um, you know, a demographic that can sometimes have some some struggle and some challenge. Um, all of those things needed to be processed. And for a lot of my kids, they wrote acrostics about their quarantine experience. They wrote, um, you know, very open-ended movies about their pandemic experience. Some of them processed loss using movie making. And all of these are like choices. They're not assignments that I'm necessarily <laughs> saying, hey, go write about loss. <laughs> go write about your quarantine experience. They just kind of gravitate to that as a natural way to connect with other people. So, I mean, in post-pandemic education, we all started relying so heavily on technology for all of our communication and connection. I don't see that really going away. I actually see our kids being more plugged into that than ever. That's awesome. Jessica, where can people connect with you on social media? Where are you on on Twitter? And frankly, anywhere else you want people to uh, to find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at packwoman208. That's P-A-C-K <laughs> for packwoman. Um, and I'm also at jessicapack.com. I love talking and helping with people with their movie-making ventures, so don't be afraid to reach out. There is a strong digital storytelling community, and I'm always happy to connect. Jessica Pack, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Brad Treffler. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found at Brad Shruffler. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. 
We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you would share it with them. Please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.